0: See Center for details.
1: The opinions expressed here reflect the judgment of the host and are subject to change. The material has been prepared and can be distributed for information purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. Additional information is available upon request. Please contact Jason Steele at info at westonbanks.com.
2: Welcome to Media and Your Money with host Jason Steele. Our program will help you make the most of your investment plans, whether it's for your future, your child's future, or short and long-term financial planning. Now, here is your host, Jason Steele.
3: Good morning, East Coast. Wake up, West Coast. It is May 15th, a nice sunny 75 degrees this morning. You know, we're seeing the summer come a little early, it feels like. Um, 94 degrees yesterday. And I've got to put out the, something out there for moms. May is a time of busyness. I think I've seen my wife for a total of about 20 minutes the last three nights between school parties and, uh, jumping back and forth to different, uh, end of school year programs, soccer tryouts, summer swatch tryouts. I can't believe how busy these moms are. So we know they're going to be deserving deserving it as well as our kids. I'm your host, Jason Steele of Media and Your Money, and uh, thank you for dialing in. The premise of our show is to explore and educate and tear down the walls of what we call traditional money management and then our show, show our listeners a way that we can potentially profit from thinking outside the box. However, today we are going to take a small change – and we're going to look into understanding the world of real estate 1031 exchanges. With us, we have a guest, Whitney Brennan, who works with the IPX Exchange Corporation, and she will be uh, coming in to give us a whole. Uh, what is a 1031? How they work? What the myths? Uh, what are the the legends we hear about how you can move money between buildings and um, apartment complexes as well as other investments? But before we begin, let's take a look at yesterday uh, of what happened in the market. You know, there's a lot of data that came in. Uh, futures were kind of flat this morning, but yesterday we finished up 101 points down, negative. Uh, the S&P and Dow are about today, uh, kind of showing a fair market value at the end of yesterday. Uh jobless claims this morning unexpectedly dropped last week by 24,000 to a seven-year low of 297,000. On the inflation front, the consumer price index increased. About 0.3 in April, the largest gain in 10 months. In addition, the Empire Manufacturing Index rebounded more than expected from a six-month low as it jumped to the best reading since we've seen in June 2010. Uh, other data is due out uh, after the open this morning, including some updates on industrial production and mid-Atlantic business activity, in addition to a gauge of confidence among U.S. home builders. We might come back to that during the show. Um, earnings results were kind of getting some attention this morning. Walmart is down of over 3% in pre market trading after posting quarterly earnings and revenue below analyst expectations, citing tough winter weather conditions. Fellow retailer Kohl's is also down 3% before the open after falling short of profit estimates as same store sales dropped. But on the upside, Cisco Systems is rallying 7.5% in the early action. After the company delivered an encouraging forecast for fourth quarter profit and sales. When we go back to fixed income, we're going to bring Whitney on. Um, in fixed income, we're seeing the 10-year treasury holding around 2.55%. You know, we finished the year around 3%. The 10-year uh, the treasury moved back, which finds a great profitable area to do some great long-term financing. And so we're going to segment into our guest, Whitney Brennan. Whitney, you on the line with us? I'm here. Thanks, Jason. Hey, good morning. Now, when let me start off with this. Are you one of those moms that's shuffling around in May, back and forth, <laughs> trying to see your husband and your kids at the same time?
0: I'm one of those moms, Yeah, <laughs> I, I barely see my husband. It is, um, it's difficult. Between soccer practice and school and meetings, it's a tough ride.
3: They need to get moms some sort of like, hey, here's the schedule at the very end of the year. And I think somebody just needs to go to his moms and say, enough is enough because I see my wife she's like forget the homework we're going to the pool forget that we're not even turning it in you got nine days of school left <laughs> so I think they're all in the same boat Whitney for our listeners can you explain to them what is a 1031 exchange
0: yeah I sure can well first of all the 1031 is a US tax code that allows you to defer paying taxes on the sale of investment property so in other words, if the sale of the investment property would have a taxable event, the investor can uh, defer the capital gains by reinvesting the proceeds in another investment property. Um, in this event, uh, the sales contract would have some verbiage indicating that the investor is doing a 1031 exchange. The investment property, though, has to be held for productive use in a trade, business, or investment and it has to be exchanged for another investment property also to be used in a trade business for investment. And it's only a tax deferral. You might have heard people saying, oh, I'm going to do a tax-free exchange. This is not the case. It's only a deferral. In other words, if you sell a property that comes from a 1031 exchange, you actually have to pay those deferred taxes back. So I always like to tell my clients right up front, it's only a deferral. In other words, it, like I said earlier, if you sell the property outright, you have to pay those taxes back. But my savvy investors, if they're doing it right, they will either hold those properties forever or keep exchanging until they die. If You might have heard this expression, if you swap till you drop, you never have to pay those taxes back. And I, I have heard you.
1: that. Have you heard that
0: before?
3: I have heard that. So I'm hearing you say defer taxes, not a tax-free transaction. So so what are some of the taxes that are being deferred?
0: And that's a great question. Um, Well, first and foremost, if you're doing an exchange and and you've held a property over a year and a day, you're going to be deferring what's called long-term capital gains. And most recently, um, January of 2013, capital gains – um, went up for a lot of folks. It went from 15 to 20%. So I'll talk about that briefly. But you're also going to be deferring, um, if you're in an upper echelon um, income tax bracket, you could be deferring the new health care tax, 3.8%. You could also be deferring dep- depreciation recapture, which is 25% on all your gain, and a various state tax. But real quick, if you're um, a married couple that makes over 400000 excuse me, $450,000, you are going to be paying that higher 20%. If you're an individual that makes over $400,000, you are also going to be paying 20%. Anything below that, you're still going to be taxed at the lower weight of 15%. That's long-term capital gains. If you're selling an investment property that you've held under a year, you're still going to be paying um, a tax, but it's called ordinary income. So that, that's one thing to keep in mind. So the first tax you're going to be paying is either capital gains or ordinary income. The other tax you're going to be paying is a state tax. Wherever you're selling your property in the United States is the state tax that you're going to be paying. There are currently nine states in the U.S. that have zero tax: Florida, Texas, Washington, Nevada. Those are just to name a few that have no state tax. So it's, it's advantageous to sell in those states. Um, recapture. Is a tax deduction that a lot of um, folks take when they own investment properties. It's a way of spreading out the cost of real estate over time. But a lot of folks don't anticipate this tax. Um, we, A lot of my clients don't. Um, you're going to be taxed 25% on all the depreciation you take over the cost of um, or over the lifetime of owning that property. And that can really add up. So it's um, really important to be mindful of that particular deduction when you're taking it. Um, that so I'm hearing sell-
3: these four different types. You've got this higher capital gains tax, mm-hmm. which obviously – and we know we did some income brackets I think I've, I've, I've read about, which is right. uh, investors exceeding over $400,000 income threshold. Then you've right. got this new 3.8% health care tax. Now, is that new 3.8% health care tax on the sale of every single property regardless of income?
0: Um, no it's actually there's some income thresholds, and that's a great question to ask for individuals that make over two hundred thousand of a net investment income, and that's income derived from um, capital gains from dividends, retirement income, and income derived from partnerships. so not everybody's included in this, but um you should check with your CPA to see if that applies to you so would you, would um, not you, all would you make
3: the m- assumption I'm sorry, would you make the assumption that possibly most folks that are doing these 1031 exchanges, though, are your higher earner and qualified investors that you know probably what? will I w- fall into that.
0: I wouldn't make that a- assumption. And, and for, for the listeners out there, 1031, um, you know, it's a myth that you have to be rich to do a 1031. That's not the case at all. Um, anybody can do a 1031 exchange. So I might be doing um, a 1031 and deferring maybe a couple of thousand dollars. And, Jason, you might be doing a 1031 and deferring hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that that brings up a great point, Jason, that the 1031 is for really truly anybody. It's really at the eye of the beholder. I might have a a tax that's big for me, but Jason might be doing a 1031, and um, the tax deferral is quite different. So it's for anybody.
3: And that savings is savings. That's what i like to hear. It's just yep. savings is savings. savings. Is that two thousand for you, and it's, 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 it helps everybody. Now, okay. as we study these these types of properties, you mentioned earlier on that the word like kind. Right. Is it you know is it selling my Christmas tree farm in Boone, North Carolina, for another Christmas tree farm in Asheville, North Carolina? Can you give me some examples right. of like like kind property exchanges?
0: Yeah, and, you know, um, we've been throwing around the term like-kind. Basically, like-kind is a very broad, sweeping term, but basically um, you can do a 1031 exchange with any real property um, for any other real property as long as it's located in the U.S., um, as long as that property is held for um, productive use in a trade, business, or investment. So um, you can exchange your condo, it's um, zoned residentially for a commercial property. You can exchange raw land that's unimproved for something that's um, that is zoned commercially. So a lot of folks think it's house for house, not the case at all. It's real property for real property. And, and, and you know what? I just want to go back to one point we didn't really finish up with the taxes. Oh yes, the mm-hmm. 1031 allows you to defer. All of those taxes that we were mentioning, Jason, um, it's the capital gains, it's the recapture, it's the healthcare tax, it's all four of those taxes. Because I came out of a lecture the other day, and, and somebody was saying, so does it just defer one of those taxes? No, it's all of those taxes. So it's a real powerful tool, the 1031 exchange. As long as you're exchanging like-kind property for like-kind property, it's real property for real property, You can go from commercial to residential. You can go from something that you own 100% of to something that you own a interest in. And I'm sure you've educated your um, audience on the DST um, and why the the benefits of DST. But it gives you the flexibility to be able to buy something in a fractional ownership. But um, as long as you have a deeded interest, um, and it's been used for um, business, trade, or investment. It's considered like-kind, and you are using it. And, go ahead.
3: Well, and that, and that's kind of where I think you know many folks have. have uh, I've gotten some phone calls in the past. Is you know is, is what's hey is this going to qualify? So
1: mm-hmm.
3: let, let's go over for a, a couple examples of of what's not like-kind. Like for example. Um, my primary residence for some partnership right. interest in an LLC, or my Christmas tree farm for a banknote
0: that I would like right. to buy
3: on, on discount. Th- right. Those aren't like kind.
0: That's correct. Can you go
3: into someone that does not qualify? I mean, I get, I've gotten calls yeah. about selling businesses and things like that. Right,
0: right. I had one recently where um, somebody was selling their gas station and they wanted to know if they could exchange their customer list. So the goodwill of uh, would not be considered like-kind. Here's one I get daily. Can I exchange my um, single-family rental for a primary residence? And that would not qualify. It it, it has to be used for business trade or investment. So could you um, buy a single-family rental and later down the road convert it? Um, Yes, the answer is yes, you could convert something to a primary residence But it has to be seasoned, if you will. It has to be used. Your intention, it's the taxpayer's intention um, at the time of purchase to be used for business trade or investment. How long does somebody have to use it? That's a great question. Nowhere in the tax code does it say you must hold, um, and and certainly um, that's a question we get up. Daily, how long do I have to hold my investment property before I exchange it or before I convert it to say a primary residence? Um,
3: yeah I, th- I think I read something a long time ago that uh, you know uh, you, you want to move at the beach full time. And all of a sudden, you'd use it for investment property, mm-hmm. and then you're right. Three or four or five years go by, I'm moving into it as my personal property. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. And so uh, what, a, what, a great, what a great use of, of my sources. So you can do yep. that. You can yep. sell a, a mountain investment property, buy a beach investment property, mm-hmm. yep. rent it out, and then three or four years, sell my Raleigh residence, and then move to the beach full time, and, yep. and I got my investment property tax-free.
0: Well, let me tell you, speaking – let's just say you had a scenario like that. There is a a revenue procedure, 2008-16, so people driving out there on the highways, write that down, don't crash. But um, if you were to have a um, a mountain home in Boone um, and you were religious about renting it out to um, people other than your family members, so friends, if you rented it out two weeks out of the year and you personally... Um, used it for two weeks out of the year, and you did this for two years, and you uh, sold that relinquished property and then bought a replacement property at the beach, Revenue um, Procedure 2008-16 says this. For that new property at the beach, if you did the same for two years, you rented it out um, to friends, not family members, um, for two weeks, and you for two weeks um, out of the year used it for personal use, you could later convert that beach house to a primary residence, and that um, the IRS would um, be fine with that. So Revenue Procedure 2008-16 would be something for our listeners to read up on if they were thinking about converting a a beach house to personal use.
3: I think that people just don't know that, and we hear that all. Whitney, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to – ask you some questions about some of the rules that surround everything in these 1031s and and see if we can even get more clarification because this is highly educational. When we come
2: back... (music)
1: Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jasons S T E E L E at WestonBanks.com. Now, back to Media and Your Money. Good morning and welcome back. My name is
3: Jason Steele of Media and Your Money. And if you're just joining us, uh, we have been talking to Whitney Brennan, a qualified intermediary with Investment Property Exchange Services. She has been educating us on a, a term, a 1031 exchange, where we have learned already that when you are going to exchange a property for some sort of like-kind property, uh, you get to exchange and, and, and push forward the, the capital gains, the health care tax, the depreciation recapture, uh, the state taxes if you're in a state tax, and pretty much defer those down, down the road. Um, so Whitney, we're going we're to pick back up about uh, uh, when I can do one, and mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you is, is how long do I need to own something before I can do a 1031 exchange?
0: Mm -hmm. That's a great question, and um, for as um, involved as the tax code is, it actually never tells you how long you must hold the investment. It it merely says you must hold for productive use in a trade, business, or investment. So it's really about the um, taxpayer's intent, so it's subjective. Um, So it's really at the time that we are putting the exchange together And, by the way, when you're doing a 1031 exchange, you do need to approach a qualified intermediary to put exchange documents in place before you relinquish. But um, it should be noted that Congress in 1989 suggested a one-year hold for both the relinquished and the replacement property. Um, This never came to pass, but it was suggested one-year holding. They did, however, put language in the... um, 1989 um, Revenue Reconciliation Act for holding periods that involved related party exchanges two years. Again, that didn't come to pass, but um, it could be suggested that one year um, might be a good time frame to hold a, a relinquished property um, for a more conservative approach, maybe two years, and especially with related parties. So again, um, that probably doesn't offer you a whole lot of guidance, but... Um, uh, I offer that up to my clients all the time, and then let them decide accordingly. But well, I again, think having guiding,
3: just having a little bit of rule and waiting, waiting is good. I think that's, that's yeah. what it looks like you have something yeah. written on paper. Yes
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: Now what if I still have debt like for example, uh, mm-hmm. you know we're going to go through I love my Christmas tree farm, you yeah. know uh, you know I have a little bit of loan on it, and if I want to exchange it, um, what if I still have debt on the building or property that I own?
0: Yep, that's a great question. Well, um, there are some exchange rules specifically called the exchange equation. And the, the basic requirements for full tax deferral are this. At, at the time of sale, you need to reinvest all of your exchange proceeds and um, acquire equal or greater debt um, than you had on the relinquished property. So, in other words, just for basic math, let's just say you were selling a property for 100000 and your proceeds were twenty-five, and your debt was seventy-five. You find a buyer for that property. At closing, your debt gets paid off. The seventy-five thousand dollars loan gets paid off, and the proceeds come to us. So, for full tax deferral, you would need to find something equal or greater than the property that you sold for a hundred thousand, and find um, replace the debt of seventy-five thousand. Are you with me?
3: I am. In today's okay. markets, though. Um, You know, we're seeing these low rates, and I'm sure you've been seeing low rates for a long time. So it Mm -hmm. seems that people may be be buying bigger properties now because of Mm -hmm. the financing might be lower. Are you seeing that today?
0: I am, I am, I am. So um, satisfying this debt requirement um, is is coming pretty easily. So in this illustration, you would just have to buy a property using all of your $25,000 proceeds and getting a a loan of at least $75,000 or greater. So that's if I great. found a property for 125000 I we release the proceeds, and you go out and get a loan for 100000 So that's basically how it works.
3: Yeah, you know, that's easy enough when it comes yeah. down to, and we can go back into, uh, in the future, we do what's called these DSTs. As financial yes. planners, we're not commercial agents. We're not real estate brokers. We're, we're private placement specialists. And there's a Delaware Statutory Trust, which is a law that was created to allow folks to, to take out, their money and, and get that loan-to-equity ratio satisfied right. by the DST provision, since we might go on that later today, the day. Um, But, uh, hey, Whitney, as a financial planner, mm-hmm. you know, we love the 1031 exchanges, as we talked about. It creates a lot of diversification, um, but I also think it creates estate planning. And can you explain to our listeners how, how maybe not only diversification, but estate planning is used for 1031s? Well, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, I was just going to say for diversification, it's great. And, um, uh, we have the clients that do think of estate planning in terms of 1031, particularly when they're, um, thinking about retirement income. And the DST is great when you're thinking of an income stream when you're retiring. And, um, the DST makes great sense. And you probably can speak more eloquently than I, but, um, uh, for our retired clients that, first of all, they don't want to manage real property um, when they're retiring, but the from the estate planning experience, when they want maybe um, to have their um, capital maybe diversified, the DST makes perfect sense. Um, maybe they're going to be able to maybe sell one very large asset, maybe a ranch in California, but from a, a estate planning purpose, they can diversify their capital. Maybe they can go into a multifamily, um, uh, you know, situation in Colorado and have capital placed there. And then maybe they can buy something, in ca- um, you know, in North Carolina, a grocery anchor and have, um, you know, capital there. And then, I mean, you, you tell me, I mean, I just merely suggest to my clients when they're, Thinking in terms of estate planning terms of how they might reach out to someone like you. Uh, well, I,
3: I love. I've got three boys, and I've got yeah. a. I've got a kid who loves the beach. I, love, I have a kid who loves to ski in the winter, and then and then I have a kid who loves amusement parks. So I can see as a dad, someone like me, you know, if I'm getting older and as they as they kind of go back to their loves, I'd have a. A, a small condo in Aspen, and I'd have a small
0: oh, beach
3: house in <laughs> and Emerald Isle, and then one by Disney World. And I could take that one property and split it up to three properties. So from a diversification standpoint, I can satisfy each one of my kids can have one of their properties they could use, and maybe leave to inheritance, which is pretty pretty neat from an estate planning standpoint. Yeah,
0: you're thinking um, you're thinking of, of for fun. I'm thinking more of
3: yeah exactly. Standpoint.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I'm but, thinking but, of but, I'm thinking of different. For estate planning, I'm thinking monetarily. Like, okay, let's have different assets around the company uh, country, and you're thinking of fun. But, but yeah, I am,
3: you know. I am, but I like your, uh, I like yours better. I do like yeah, yours no, no, better. No.
0: But so. uh, yeah, no, but you're right. If you do have, you know, and and Jason speaks very eloquently there, but yes, if you do have multiple errors and you have one asset, it's it's good to split them up, and then upon death, then each um, error gets um, something, and then there's no squabbling on who gets what, unless somebody wanted the mountains and somebody wanted the beach and they didn't get that. But, um, uh, there you go. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's funny. Well, now, am I allowed to like, if my, let's say I have a son who gets in this business later on and, and here I am, I'm, I'm 75 years old and I want to do exchange with him when he's in his fifties and doing some things. Um, can I buy or exchange from a related party?
0: Yeah, you, you can. And, and, Related party exchanges are um, interesting in that, that there are some rules um, designed around related parties, and that's because um, it, related parties, um, you want to be very careful. The IRS has seen this as a way in the past uh, for, to, well, the related parties have done some basis shifting. And the IRS was on that, and they saw related parties cashing out and benefiting from exchanges. Now, the IRS says you can exchange with the related parties. However, there are rules. Basically, if a related party is doing an exchange, you can sell to a related party if the related party holds on to that property for two years. You can only purchase from a related party if the related party is also doing a 1031 exchange. Again, this is to prevent basis shifting and cashing out um, of properties and benefiting as such. So, um, okay. yeah. So there are specific well, rules I, for – go ahead.
3: No, so so I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to uh, not have to deal with any FAME members, but – what happens if, oh, outside a related party if I have uh, some money, let's say, an apartment complex with thirty of my friends, right? Um, and and you know how if if we can get a quick answer before we go to break is yeah. how yeah. do partnerships handle a ten thirty one if there's more than one investor?
0: Well, well first of all, um, when people call in and say, "Hey, I'm in a partnership," I investigate quickly to see truly if they are in a partnership because a lot of people are misinformed on what partnerships are. we are like, oh, I hold, you know, title as a partnership. Well, do you file one return with the 1065? Oh, oh, no, we're, we actually are under our own social security numbers. Well, you're really tenants in common. So quickly, I try to, um, you know, clarify if they truly hold title as a partnership. But if they are maybe one llc let's just say they are truly a partnership um do does the partnership want to exchange together and that's great if they do um then they sell together they buy together the replacement property that's great because partnerships must exchange in their entirety however if the partners want to go their separate ways um you may or may not know you cannot exchange interests in a partnership that would be personal property and that would not work hmm. Okay. Yep. So if partners would like to go their own way, um, and I just had one the other day where there were five and um, three of the members wanted to do an exchange and two wanted to cash out. And so they, they have some time on their side. The, the property's not going to sell for six months. So our suggestion to them, um, was to go back to their...
3: Seating. It's a DST.
1: <laughs> it's a DST. Yes,
0: <laughs> well, they actually, all of them um, had, um, two of them wanted to cash out and pay taxes, and three of them had each had a respective property they wanted to own individually. So um, what they're going to do is drop out. It's going to be called a drop and swap. They're going to drop out of the partnership, so they're liquidating their partnership. And they're going to become tenants in common. And okay. they have time on their side. They're going to become tenants in common. Two will, um, at the time of sale, when that comes to pass, pay taxes. And the three will go on their way and do exchanges. So they're going to drop out of the LLC and swap into new properties. And um, and that will be that.
3: And that sounds like a great... And you guys sound like you're very uh, helpful in educating the client. So when we return... From a commercial break, we're to talk about your role as a qualified intermediary. It just sounds like more than an order taker. When we come back.
2: <laughs> now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business.
1: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sun Joke all how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. We're making
2: it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to Media and Your Money.
3: Welcome back. And if you guys are just joining us now, we've had Whitney Brennan who is a qualified intermediary with investment property exchange services. And we have been going over what's called a 1031 exchange, which is uh, moving property from... Uh, one investment to another, whether it's a beach house, whether it's raw land, whether it's commercial or industrial, and how to avoid those taxes. Uh, but before I bring Whitney Brack, let me bring you an update on the market. So we are open. It is 9.35 a.m. on the East Coast. I'm sure it's 6.35 on the West Coast. Thank you. Uh, wake up San Francisco. Good morning. Um, the market today right now is down about 57 points right now. We're seeing it at uh, 16,566. Uh, the 10-year treasury has moved up just so slightly this morning. Um, so we are having a little bit of a pullback in the U.S. market again today. Um, now coming back to Whitney, as we go back to these qualified intermediaries, now, and, and it's a great term, qualified intermediary. When in the investment world, we hear the word QI, we think qualified investor. But in the 1031 world, it's qualified intermediary. What does that mean, Whitney? Well,
0: um, in the, in the term, of, or in our world, um, the QI is the one that performs the functions of um, overseeing the exchange. And um, so we're, we oversee the transaction, and we act as the principal. Um, basically, in the, the 1031, the IRS stipulates an exchange has to occur. So what we do, um, basically, we oversee that exchange of properties, and um, what happens is that each exchanger basically assigns um, to the qualified intermediary an interest. Um, basically they're assigning their interest first in the relinquished property and then um, secondly they assign an interest as uh, first first they assign an interest as the seller in the relinquished property and then secondly they assign an interest as the buyer of the replacement property. So basically a swap has occurred. Or an exchange of properties. Um, uh, basically, the qualified intermediary needs to be an independent, a disinterested party from the transaction. So, can anybody be a qualified intermediary? Yes, um, but uh, who should not be a qualified intermediary? And I always tell this to people: anybody that's um, like that is disqualified within the transaction. That would be the client's CPA. They would be a disqualified party. The client's attorney, anybody that's represented them in the last two years, the client's realtor, the client's um, lender, they would be disqualified parties. So anybody that's disqualified cannot be their qualified intermediary.
3: Okay. so, So, So investment property exchange services who you work with, is an mm-hmm. attorney group that are qualified intermediaries.
0: Yes, we are qualified, and, but we are not disqualified.
3: Yes. You follow. Okay. Yep. 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 So, okay. so when I'm out there searching, and I decide that one day I'm going to go find me a qualified intermediary, I sell my my Christmas tree farm. Um, mm-hmm. What do I look for in a
0: QI? Well, let me let me let me go back and let you know further what we do. So, we create the swap of properties. And that was the first thing we do. We also hold the proceeds, which is very important, because if the taxpayer touches their proceeds, um, they will pay taxes. That's very important. We prepare the exchange agreement, which I just mentioned that we we do. Um, So we uh, create the two assignments for the relinquished and the replacement property, um, and then we provide great service. But what you should look for in a QI um, is... Well, are they reputable? Um, And how do they do their banking? Basically, our banking, um, we send uh, um, our banking statements, actually I should say the bank sends the statements directly to the taxpayer so that the taxpayer knows exactly what interest they're um, accruing. We have segregated accounts. Our operating uh, accounts and our taxpayer's exchange funds are not commingled. Um, it takes signatures from the taxpayer to release their funds for um, any disbursements. Um, so we're very transparent. We we carry um, very high um, bonding. In fact, our Fidelity bond is $100 million. Our E&O insurance um, is $30 million, and we carry a $50 million guarantee for every transaction. So this wow. Yep, for every transaction. So those are the types of things um, that you should look for. We also are, our parent company is a publicly traded company. So those are just some of the things that you should look at. And um, if you are doing um, business with another qualified intermediary, we were mentioning earlier at break that attorneys can be qualified intermediaries as long as they haven't represented their client in another capacity in the last two years If they are a sole proprietor or they're a smaller shop, are they financially backed? Um, What are their um, procedures? Do they have
3: bonding? I hear what you're saying because they probably don't have the bonding.
0: Right. Yeah. What are their um, procedures for dispersing funds? Uh, Maybe they have a great reputation in town, but do they have the financial wherewithal if they get sued? Um,
3: Well, are there certain banks that most qualified intermediaries put the money with?
0: We actually have um, a host of banks. We don't put all of our money in one bank. We look for the trans- for transparency of the bank. Um, we also look to see, we have relationships, prior relationships with the banks. I- again, um, we like the banks to be able to send direct statements to the taxpayers. We don't have anything go through us. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. That sounds like right. a lot. Yeah. Well, let, yeah. let, me, yeah. let me
3: walk you through a scenario. So
0: mm-hmm.
3: so you intercede on my behalf, and, mm-hmm. and I understand there are numerous, numerous rules, and we haven't even really gone over those yet.
1: Mm-hmm. So
3: <clears throat> let's go through an exchange. I'm right. the client, and yes. somebody just bought my Christmas tree for him. and And I understand that I can't take it the money at closing, so I right. – go to the internet and I find investment property exchange services and they put me up with 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 you Whitney and so you kind of intercede on my behalf the money I guess goes through some closing documents with you what do I need to know now once I close my property And I'm looking for another property too so I'm, I want I don't want to pay the taxes
0: well I, you call me have we it, I get a call every day and I'm not sure. You just said, you just called me, but I would, first of all, I'd call it, when you call, I'm going to ask you, have you ever done a 1031 exchange? Um, did, did this property come from a 1031 exchange? Because if it did, chances are you're going to need to do another 1031. Because I get a lot of people saying, oh, I'm on the fence, I'm not sure I want to do a 1031. The minute I ask them, did this property come from a 1031, they're like, well, why yes it did. And then for the various reasons that I pointed out earlier, if you if the property came from a 1031, you're going to want to keep on exchanging, because if you sell this property outright and you've done ten exchanges prior, you have to pay all those deferred taxes back. It's a domino effect backwards. And mm-hmm. Jason, you're like, oh my goodness, no one ever told me that before. So you're going to want to keep exchanging. Okay. Um, second question I'm probably going to ask you is, have you talked to your CPA CPA or tax advisor? Well, no, I haven't. Uh, especially for the folks that have never done a 1031, um, because it might not be the right vehicle for them, meaning that maybe they're not prepared to keep exchanging. Or maybe the taxable event is really small, and they should just pay their tax. I talk a lot of people out of exchanging, believe it or not, because if it's not the right thing for them, I don't want to give them bad advice. I want to make sure they're doing the right thing. So we get you to the point where, yes, I want to do a 1031, and then I'm going to describe the process. We are going to prepare the exchange agreement, which is the legal document that you need in place before you relinquish ownership. And I probably tell them that five or six times before the end of our conversation, because I've had many a taxpayer call me and say, hey, I just sold my property. It closed yesterday. What do I do now? Well, it's too late. If you've closed and relinquished ownership it's too late to put the exchange agreement in place that must be in place before you relinquish ownership it has to be in there to make it a 1031 exchange Once so, you close, so,
3: so, I, so which is why I have to go to you then I have to I have to know that yes. I'm gonna as I'm going to a closing uh-huh. the closing attorney that I've chosen is not you you're the qualified intermediary. Right. The closing attorney is putting the money. With. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Good clarification.
0: The, the um, call I got yesterday, and I'm not kidding, came from a closing attorney. I said, oh, my gosh, Whitney, we closed last Wednesday. Um, and my my during the signing, the, t- the client mentioned something while they were signing the head. I think I might want to do a 1031. And the, the closing attorney kind of just glanced over, I mean, just over, blew over strokes. the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, and he proceeded to close. And I said, are you kidding me? Um, And I said, what did you think was going to happen? He said, well, I thought she was just going to take care of it on her own. I said, oh, my gosh, you're the closing attorney. We thought it was going to get taken. What he needed to do was stop everything and call me and send me a copy of the, for you on the West Coast, the title commitment and the preliminary title report are the same things but give me a copy of the contract and the preliminary title report, and we could have prepared the exchange agreement right then and there and turn around in about 20 minutes. And he would have still had time to do the exchange agreement. It's not too late to put the exchange agreement in place. When it's too late is when you've recorded
3: when you recorded it and you sent that closing statement, mm-hmm. wow. So, so let's go through my scenario. So I just, yep. I, I, I've got my money with my attorney going to you. I've closed with him who sent it to you is what it sounds like. I'm yep. recording it with him, but it's going to you, right?
0: Yep, Yep. Okay. it's to us. So all so, we would have had to do is we would have prepared the agreement, and then a few hours later they would have sent us the proceeds. And at closing, um, the very next day, two time clocks get triggered, a 45-day clock and a 180-day clock. In the first 45 days, you're going to identify what it is you're going to buy. From the close, you have the 180-day clock. You must close on what it is you identified back on day 45. So the whole entire exchange lasts 180. In the first 45 days, you're going to identify. You can ID up to three properties in the first rule, any three properties without regard to their value.
3: No, not five or ten, just three.
0: Well, in the second rule, you could ID as many as you want, as long okay. as the some of their properties do not exceed two hundred percent of what you sold. So if you sold for two hundred thousand, you could ID four hundred thousand dollars worth of property. Because two hundred percent of two hundred thousand is four hundred thousand. You follow?
3: I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, what, so so with financing, I guess I can see people having a financing issue if they find yeah. a property and they're trying to get a 180-day rule and they can't get their financing in place. Lost right. a job or you know, couldn't get things lined up. I could see where the, the deal could be broken.
0: Yes, yeah. and that's why GSTs are great because when people are trying to identify and you're creeping up on the day 45 and then they can't, it's particularly in this marketplace, especially in, in, in the California area, and now we're seeing it in the – the Charlotte area where I'm speaking from today, the inventory is getting so tight. It's hard to identify. And with your products, it's a little bit easier because you've always got stuff circulating out there.
3: That's right. And I'll give you you know, we just closed on uh, a young man – uh, basically sold an apartment complex and
0: mm-hmm. he got
3: a. you know, apartment complexes are, are, are ripe right now, they're at the top of the market everybody's trying to get out of them. and he had about $3 million and he bought uh, four different properties with that $3 million he bought two different apartment complexes anywhere from Austin, Texas to here as well as what's called a zero-coupon pharmacy which was 10 CVS pharmacies put together all in all, he had to satisfy 56% of debt he didn't want to go take a $3.8 million yeah. loan He was kind of unwinding his portfolios, so the DST absorbs it, and they pay him on the 8th of the month. Uh his hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year divided by twelve every single month, wow. eleven grand. And and for it was easy. It was it really was easy. Now the difference is he has no control, he has no management, you know, but right. that's what they want in the D S T. So But he
0: he it, likes
3: that income stream, I, I presume. It's exactly and he's not having to pay the property manager, he's not having to pay the taxes, get the employees, or right. as he said, get the phone call in the middle of the night because somebody shot somebody in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> you know, he right. had the police right. over there. Right, right. So or, or there was a fight breakout. So right. um well, what else do you think that we we need to know uh, uh, with the date of transfer? You know, and because um, I, I guess my I, what I'm understanding is that 45 day clock starts the day I close with my attorney and you. It, it starts that yeah, the, minute. The, it's it's yeah, not yeah, the business next, days. The
0: next day you record, and then the next day, but it just it happens so quickly, and you're out there looking for properties, and then all of a sudden it's it's there. It's always, I've always thought that it's great to be talking to someone like you um just to, to to keep your options open. And then I just for my a lot of my clients they get to the point where they're just tired of managing their own properties or um, they just they, they can't find options in their in their marketplace or they want to be able to diversify and they don't have the the means to go explore these geographies on their own. Um, and the due diligence has been done for them. And so um it's kind of nice to be able to have options that you provide. It
3: is. It, you now, is there an extra cost to using your QI versus using, you know, as you go to the QI, Your right. qu- I always see closing costs come out when I buy my settlement statement. Yeah.
0: yeah, I so, mean, our, our, our closing our fee, or not our closing fee, but our fee is seven fifty. Uh which I, if you were to go to an attorney, I don't know what their hourly rate is. But attorneys do provide these services, Um in our fee for standard delayed exchange is 750 which is very competitive.
1: And that's
3: whether you do it or not, right? So for example, you get 750, you know, to get in the money, to make sure you kind of prepare the documents and right. inform me my christmas tree farm for 45 days and really honestly that, that's it. So you've kind of kept yep. me in the loop, you've kind of kept me going. So if I do an exchange to let's say three more properties, it's not 750 per each property at that point that I'm coming out of, right? Cuz you've already gotten my money from my christmas tree farm.
0: Yeah, it's or it for 50? one sale, one replacement, and 250 for each additional right. property. Yeah.
3: And, and then if I can't find something and say, well, send me my own money, Whitney. I'm going to pay the tax. you just going to wire the money in my account. Right. And,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. That's what we do. But, but back to the question earlier, what is the role of the intermediary? We're, we're there to make sure you defer your tax. Um, it's, if you don't find the replacement properties or you choose not to do it, then that's your prerogative. But we're there to make sure you get the agreement in place. Um, answer your questions about how the the whole process works. You know, if you have long term goals about you know potentially moving into your beach house, we can help you you know get from A to Z. But so that's our role is to help educate you on the 1031 pro- process. We don't offer tax advice, but we offer 1031 advice.
3: That's great. Well, I want to close on this real quickly. I don't want to confuse our listeners about the IRS rule 121 and a 1031. Um, There's some differences to personal residences. And I know, you know, in the U.S., you could sell, I think, your personal residence and keep some money and and have it Mm -hmm. tax-free. Can can you expand on that real quickly?
0: Sure. Section 121 is for the sale of your primary residence. And that's where if you live in something two out of five years as an individual, you have a $250,000 exclusion. And for a married couple, it's a $500,000 exclusion. And you can take that exclusion once every two years. So it's a very powerful tax code. And then the 1031, obviously, we've been talking about it for the whole show. Um, And if you're interested, there are some ways where you can combine both tax codes, 1031 and um, 121. And if you're interested in knowing more about that, you can always call me um, after the show. And... um, I guess well, Whitney, t-
3: tell our listeners what your numbers are in your email and everything sure. where they can they can get it down.
0: Sure. Um, cell number is nine one six eight zero six one four six eight. That's nine one six eight zero six one four six eight. And then an email is Whitney W H I T N E Y dot Brennan and B R E N N A N at i p x ten thirty one dot com.
3: Whitney, we cannot thank you enough for this time today about 1031 exchanges. It's been very exploratory as well as educational for all of us. And we hope that you can maybe come back in some other time. We can go deep into some of the strategies that we can use for 1031s. I know this is kind of a 10,000-foot square uh, foot view, um, and I'd love to have you back on again. So, Whitney, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm Jason Steele. I'm with Media and Your Money. And as we finish out uh, the show, next week we've got Thomas Hagstrom from F-Squared Investments, one of our tactical advisors. They're they're red hot. Uh, They've been doing some pretty good uh, algorithms in the market. Uh, Their whole goal is to provide an airbag to your portfolio so that when the market begins to decline, they get out. Again, thank you for joining Meeting Your Money.
2: Join us next week. Thank you again for tuning in this week to Media and Your Money. Please join your host, Jason Steele, again next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk next week.